Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. My name is Bryson Carver. This one's not going to be a fun show for me today. Hope everybody has had a great week. A lot of things have happened in sports the last few days. Uh, I'm going to start the show with what might have been the game of the playoffs between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics last night. Uh, Boston's got a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee somehow comes back to win it. They take a 3-2 series lead. The defending champs now a win away from another Eastern Conference Finals trip. That would be, I believe, the third in the last four seasons. And a lot of people are blaming Boston today. I'm actually going to give Milwaukee more credit than I'm going to give Boston blame. Boston deserves blame. A couple of individuals I'll mention, but Milwaukee more than anybody deserves credit. I'll start the show with that, as well as... It's the elephant in the room on this show. I can't avoid it. My Golden State Warriors got absolutely pounded last night. They were down by as many as 55. They ended up losing by a mere 39. I'll discuss that. Um, and a takeaway on John Morant that I was thinking about that I'll touch on late in the show on the type of star player that he is, as well as tonight, 76ers, Heat. Heat got a chance to advance. Philadelphia 76ers, there's one individual that I want to discuss and given uh, the overlay for the show, you probably know who that is. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's James Harden. I'll discuss that later in the show as well. Uh, also, the Dallas Mavericks-Phoenix Suns game tonight. Phoenix has a chance to clinch in advance uh, to the Western Conference Finals for a second consecutive season. I'm going to discuss Luka and what this game means for him tonight. At the end of the show, I'm going to talk some NFL. The schedule comes out tonight, by the way, in about a couple of hours. We've already had some games leaked. Uh, <laughs> the viral video from the Miami Dolphins of Tua and Tyree Kill, which I will touch on at the end of the show. But first, what a game. Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics, Game 5, the winner in NBA history of Game 5s when the series is tied at two games apiece, goes on to win the series about 82% of the time. So, Maybe not fully overwhelming, but a pretty good majority of, of, of teams that have, have won Game 5 in a 2-2 series have gone on to win the series, and that has been the case uh, thus far. So, Boston's got a 14-point lead at home, mind you, in the fourth quarter. Somehow, the Milwaukee Bucks come back to win the basketball game. Again, of course, they are in this series without one Chris Middleton, their second-best player, although I've got to admit, uh, he's certainly their second-best scorer. I mean, we may have to rethink the second-best player thing after how Drew Holiday played, uh, but I'll, I'll sort of touch on that later. But a lot of people today are blaming Boston for their uh, fourth-quarter collapse, if you will, and there are a couple of individuals that I would like to highlight more than anybody, but I'll touch on that. Uh, actually, let me touch on that right now. Number one, a guy who I love and I think has done a phenomenal job this season, and that is Ime Udoka, the head coach of the Boston Celtics, the first-year head coach who... I could be wrong. I'm not sure he finished in the top three for coach of the year, which if he didn't, that is a crime. First-year head coach takes a seven-seed team to a two-seed and a very very much a legit championship contender, takes them from a decent defensive team to the best defensive team in basketball. But the, down the stretch, in my view, Jason Tatum did not get enough touches down the stretch. Jason Tatum was hot and cold all night. Played okay in the fourth quarter for the game. Uh, Tatum shot 12 for 29 for the field, 2 for 11 for 3. Gave you 34. But my view has always been on this. Unless you've got a wide open look. Like we're talking like 
you know, you know, Paxson or Kerr open in the 1990s with the Chicago Bulls. Unless you're that open. I'm living and I'm dying in the playoffs off the hand of my best player. That, of course, for the Boston Celtics is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, in these last few fourth quarters, regardless if he shot well or shot poorly, has been really, really good. Hit big shots, gotten to the rim. He, along with Al Horford, were the leading catalyst for the Celtics winning game four back in Milwaukee. And I felt like in the last 20 seconds, of course, we know the sequence. Giannis misses the free throw that would have tied the game, but the ball gets bad in the air, and Bobby Portis, of all people, comes up comes up with it, hits a little bank shot to give the Bucs a one-point lead, a lead which they would not relinquish. But I didn't like how Boston decides to go with Al Hor- I'm sorry, uh, with Marcus Smart, especially against Drew Holiday. I mean, we are talking about a guy, Marcus Smart's a great defensive guard. He won defensive player of the year, the first player, first guard to do that since Gary Payton. They were talking about Gary Payton Sr. We know how great of a defensive player that he was, the glove. With that said, Drew Holiday's the best defensive guard in basketball. Marcus Smart, that doesn't take anything away from what Marcus Smart did this season or just who he is as a defensive player. Drew Holiday's the best defensive guard in basketball. Length, quickness, and my Lord, is his anticipation phenomenal. We saw that in the last play of the game. But if I lost because Jason Tatum missed a shot down one, and then at the end of the game, in the last, what was it, five seconds, missed a three that would have tied the game? Okay. I lost because I played my, even though I played my best card. Nothing, it is what it is. You know, the, the best teams in the playoffs, if, if the Warriors lose because Steph Curry can't hit big shots down the stretch, which is rare, by the way, okay, <laughs> but you're, you're going to live and die off the hand of Steph Curry. If you are the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic can't hit a big shot down the stretch, I'd rather my season come to an end off the hand of Luka Doncic as opposed to Spencer Dinwiddie or Jalen Brunson. With all due respect to those players, I'm going off my superstar, and Jason Tatum is a superstar. He has established that by this point. But, so if Ime Udoka deserves blame, Marcus Smart deserves blame. However, Milwaukee deserves more credit for coming back in the basketball game than Boston deserves blame. Of course, the Celtics, again, had a 14-point fourth quarter lead at home with 10 minutes left. But, it's one thing when you have a great team, which Boston is, playing another great team, which the Milwaukee Bucks obviously are. It's quite another when you're taking on a champion, which, of course, the Bucks are. Whole different ballgame. And when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, currently, in my view, the best pl- basketball player on earth, with a bloodied-up eye, having to get it patched and pa- putting that stuff in it to try and stop the bleeding, they're having to stop the game before he shoots his, his, uh, his fateful free throws. And in the game, man, 40, 40 piece, 11 rebounds. An efficient 40, by the way, 16 uh, for, yeah, 16 for 27 for the field. Hit two threes, including a massive three down the stretch in the last minute and a half. That's 
what champions, that's what superstars do. That's what best players in the world do. There's nothing you can do to stop it. I mean, there was a stretch. There was a point down the stretch where in the last, I think it was 30 seconds, where Giannis is being guarded by both Al Horford and Grant Williams. They're double team. Al Horford is what? What are we going to give him? 6'10", 6'11", probably 260, 70? We saw it into Giannis the fourth quarter last game, and Grant Williams, undersized, but a very sturdy, strong, quick athlete and a really good defensive player. A lot of times Boston has put him on Giannis down the stretch of these games for defensive purposes. Guarded by both guys, there's nothing they can do to stop him. You, you can't stop great players. You can only limit them. And sometimes you can't even do that. What this came down to was, was Milwaukee's role players on the road finally showed up down the stretch. Drew Holly, we know the big shots he made down the stretch. He himself hit a huge three-pointer. Right? Bobby Portis with a putback. Pat Connaughton, I thought, played a really good basketball game. He's played well all series. You know, Pat Connaughton last night gave you 13 points, three for five from three. All three of those threes were massive. Now, he was the one who collided into Giannis, getting him, you know, right above the eye and, and causing all the bleeding. But can the role players from Milwaukee step up? I believe they can't. Wesley Matthews was big in the fourth quarter last night. It's as Shaq calls them the others. He famously calls them the others, the role players. It's, it's a known fact in the NBA playoffs. Your role players are always better at home. What can they give you on the road, especially when your second best scorer, Chris Middleton, is out until at least the conference finals if Milwaukee gets there, which I think they will. Last night, they showed up. And so, look, I, I think when you're talking about a team with the championship pedigree of the Milwaukee Bucks, when you're talking about a, a, a team that has the best player on earth, that's, that's what the best player in the world does. That's what the defending champs do. They don't go down without a fight. You have to out-execute them, them down the stretch. They've been there and done that. They saw close games last year against the Brooklyn Nets, against the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. This doesn't scare them. Not to say it scares Boston, but they haven't been here before. Playoff moments, yes, but when you are expected to get to the finals, Milwaukee's dealt with that pressure. Boston has not. And so I think what it comes down to is a team that, I mean, shockingly, I feel like Coach Bud, Mike Budenholzer, who I've been highly critical of on this show, Outcoached Ima Udoka down the stretch. We're talking adjustments, which Budenholzer is not known for. And it felt like Udoka panicked a little bit down the stretch. Because even, even if Jason Tatum doesn't get the shot, Jalen Brown's getting that shot. He's been good in the fourth quarter of these games, especially game two earlier in the series in Boston. So that's my takeaway. Boston deserves blame. But I think more than anything else, it's about Milwaukee, who's a championship-level team, a, the defending NBA champions, executing down the stretch. And they deserve an immense amount of credit for that. But, again, game of the playoffs. And again, when I say Drew Holiday is the best defensive guard in basketball, again, I'm not taking any credit away from Marcus Smart. I'm not even necessarily saying that Marcus Smart wasn't a better defensive player this year. But when you're talking about a guy in Drew Holiday going back to his days with the Sixers, with the Pelicans, and now with the Bucks, this is what he does. He can give you 20-25. He can knock down shots. 
And he can lock up your best player. Or the guy with the ball in his hands down the stretch. I mean, who could ever forget? To me, the biggest play in the finals last year was the Giannis block on DeAndre Ayton in game four. Second biggest play, without a doubt, was the next game, game five, when Devin Booker is looking to try and you know hit a shot to put the Suns up by one. And Drew Holiday, with like, what, 20 seconds left, and Drew Holiday literally takes the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. It wasn't like a steal where he just slapped it away. He grabbed the ball, took it right out of Book's hands, pushed it in transition through the lob to Giannis, and, you know, where the, the famous play where Giannis, you know, puts down the, 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 the you know, the alley-oop and then, you know, stares at, gives the death stare to the, to the cameras on the baseline. That's what Drew Holiday does. He's not scared of the moment. None of these bucks are. Again, they've been there and they've done that. So they deserve a ton of credit. But I'm going to be honest with y'all. I think Boston wins game six in Milwaukee. I really do. I think Boston wins game six. I, I, I don't know if I said this in the show, but I think I might have. Well, actually, no, I didn't tweet that either. But my view is because I had this series going seven, road team wins out. Road team wins out. Milwaukee won last night. I think Boston wins game six to keep their season alive on the road. I think this is too good of a basketball team, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I think Jason Tatum is too good of a player to shrink in this big moment. We're going to see a game seven back in Boston, but at that point, I'm going with the Bucs. But again, game of the playoffs thus far. Thus far. Can't wait to see what we get down the stretch of these playoff series. Second round, man, is crazy. All four series are 3-2. But it goes to show you that we do not have a prohibitive favorite this year. It's not Phoenix, which a lot of people thought it would be. It's not Golden State, who I'm about to, you know, to get into. You know, Milwaukee, Boston duking it out. Miami isn't is you know is in a fight with the Sixers tonight. They got a road game six tonight, which I'm going to talk about a little later in the show. Love the NBA playoffs. It's 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 crazy. Got got all all four series are going to see at least a game six, and you would think at least. Hopefully, cross your fingers, one, hopefully not <laughs> Hopefully not the, the series that my team's in, but one goes to a Game 7. As a matter of fact, today is the three-year anniversary of Kawhi Leonard's Game 7 buzzer-beating shot. You know, of course, against Philadelphia, the shot bounces a million times and goes in and sends the Toronto Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, and, and of course, they ultimately went on to, to win the title against my Warriors. Speaking of my Warriors and speaking of my Warriors losing... I got to get a drink because this is going to be a tough one for me. My Warriors got a hand it to him last night. It was not a fun watch for me whatsoever because my Warriors were down 55 points at one point in the third quarter. I'm going to repeat that for those of you that maybe didn't hear me clear enough. The Golden State Warriors were down to the Memphis Grizzlies by 55 points. Thank God for Damian Lee, for Moses Moody, for Juan Toscano Anderson, the guys at the end of the bench in the fourth quarter when the game had long been decided, for cutting the deficit to a mere 39. So thank you to those guys. I appreciate y'all. 
But in all seriousness, I've got a couple of takeaways. Let's start with the Warriors and let's move to the Grizzlies second. Starting with my Warriors, who y'all know I had going back to last summer, even before this NBA season started, I said this team's going to win the 2022 NBA championship. Drafted well, did a really good job in free agency, and oh yeah, this Clay Thompson guy's coming back, which Clay Thompson, to his credit, even though they didn't play very long because it was a massive blowout, Clay Thompson was probably the best Warrior last night. In all honesty, Steph didn't shoot particularly well. Uh, Draymond was not great offensively and certain and on the defensive end either. Um, Clay Clay was was decent in the minutes that you know that he played. He, he went seven for twelve, three for six from three, and gave you nineteen. Uh, ended up being the leading scorer for the Warriors. So if 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 this gets Clay in a rhythm, okay. But I think with with the Warriors, here's here's my two takeaways with them. Here's the first one. I hope the one good thing, the one silver lining that you can possibly find, that I could find at least, maybe now folks will give Steve Steve Kerr the credit that he deserves. Steve Kerr's caught a lot of flack these last eight years since he's been a member, or a member, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Everybody said, well, anybody can win with this talent. Well, then my question is, why does Steve Nash not win? And why has other coaches not won in the past? You can't be just a, a, a doof with all this talent and win championships. I think even these last two games, by the way, I think Mike Brown's a good coach. I do. He's been a head coach twice of this league with the Cavs and with the Lakers. He, Mike Brown can coach. Kings got themselves a good one. But you look at game four, which the Warriors won by the skin of their teeth, and teeth, and you look at last night where they got absolutely smoked. It proves to you why Steve Kerr is so important to this team. Because something that Steve Kerr, to me, doesn't get enough credit for, that a lot of coaches struggle with, adjustments. You hear me talk about Mike Budenholzer, the, the, the Bucks coach all the time? Last night he made adjustments against the Celtics, but a lot of times the postseason he does not. Why do you think the Golden State Warriors are such a great third-quarter team? Some of it is the veteran leadership of Draymond Green and Steph Curry. That factors, absolutely. But some of that's Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr deserves credit. This is a Golden State Warriors team whose best three players, Steph, Clay, Draymond, played a total of 11 minutes together the entire season and had the third-best record in the NBA. Steve Kerr doesn't get credit for that. Of course, Steve Kerr has been out with COVID. He tested positive hours before game four, which was sort of an emotional blow to a team, you know, considering he wasn't there and the, the leadership that he brings to the table. And again, Mike Brown did a solid job in game four. And, you know, look, there's not much Mike, Mike Brown's not going to, uh, uh, there's not much Mike Brown's going to do about last night. Uh, my man, John Rivera, he's been trolling me so bad. John, you ain't like this, John. John, Mac, you, 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 you're not a guy outside of the Yankees and Red Sox. You're not a guy who, who is known for trolling. So I'm re- I'm really disappointed in you right now. John John says in the comments, how you feeling about Warriors 4-1? Because we were texting about it uh, earlier in the series. I picked the Warriors to win in five games. And that's where I got to admit when I'm wrong. I gloat when I'm right. I admit when I'm wrong. And here's where I was wrong. That I said my Warriors would avoid a sixth game in the playoffs in the Western Conference, in the Western Conference, outside of the Phoenix Suns. Well... Not true. That didn't happen. There's going to be a game six tomorrow night at the Chase Center. So how am I feeling? Well, 
I feel good about winning the series, which I will get to now. The 4-1, of course, is not going to happen. Here's how I feel about the Warriors going into Game 6. I think when you go on the road, of course, you know you have a Game 6. I've heard some people in the media talk about, well, were the Warriors throwing the game? Were they? Did they just know they had a Game 6? It's like, come on, man. Like Clay Thompson said after the game, we had every intention of advancing tonight. The thing is, when you run into a Memphis team on the road, a really good, uh, I'm sorry, well, yeah, a really good home team in the Memphis Grizzlies who had to win in order to keep their season alive, they know internally, hey, we almost beat these Jokers without our best player on the road. It was because Steph Curry, the Earth's second best basketball player, I want to make that very clear, scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. It took that to beat Memphis in game four in the fourth quarter. So Memphis is going in like, okay, yes, our season's on the line, but look, we're at home. We're a great home team. We're well coached by Taylor Jenkins. Come, came out at the gates flying. So credit, credit to the Memphis Grizzlies on how they, I mean, they looked more prepared and more ready to go to the Warriors. And that's not surprising because they are at home. Their season is on the line. And Golden State's got a home game six. Now again, that is no excuse to be trailing by 55. None. But in some ways, the way I think about it is, okay, the Warriors lost to a Grizzlies team that probably played the greatest playoff game in the history of their franchise. They hit 18 threes in the game, the Grizzlies did, which was the most they'd ever hit in a playoff game, scored 135 points. So when you're not playing well and they play, I don't know, the best game in postseason franchise history for them, hard to win, especially on the road. And you saw you saw Draymond Green, Steph, Steph talked about uh, they were going to whoop that trick, which for those of you that don't know, whoop that trick is like the the uh, the Grizzlies like rally cry song, if you will. I think it's by, I, for, I forgot who it was by, I think it was Terrence Howard or something like that. Uh, someone like, I think it was Terrence Howard. and um. And that's like the Grizzlies fight song. They asked Steph Curry what, what the Warriors' goal was in game five. He said that was to whoop that trick. And, of course, when the game had long been decided in the fourth quarter, they're playing whoop that trick. The, the Grizzlies dance team is out there. The hype man's out there. And they're, the whole arena's waving their towels, doing whoop that trick. And Steph Curry is dying laughing on the side. Like, you know, Steph, Steph can take it. He, you know, he's going to dish it out. You got to take on the chin. You know what I'm saying? You got to take on the chin. And Draymond's like, okay. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna have fun with this. Draymond gets a towel. He's he's waving his towel, and he's you know doing whoop that trick with the crowd, having the time of his life, uh, which which I thought was 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 pretty great. And to Draymond's credit, he said on his podcast, uh, which I believe is the number two ranked sports podcast uh, going right now, to Bill Simmons, um, Draymond said, "If you 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 can't be a true trash talker if you're just gonna talk when you up, but you're not gonna talk when you when you're down." That's why, that's why Draymond's the realest of the real. You heard Luka Doncic say that the other night about the Phoenix Suns. Like, it's easy to talk trash when you're up. Michael Jordan said that in the last dance. So I respect uh, respect the heck of, uh, out of Draymond for that. Um, John John says Memphis could have won this series in five. They could have. There was one blowout in this series, uh, up until, of course, up until uh, game five. There was one blowout that the War is, Warriors won in this series, and that was game three. They won by 30. But I think, John, John, it goes back to what I talked about with Milwaukee and Boston. Where Boston can outplay Milwaukee. 
But championship teams have a, a, a tendency to execute better than even a great team down the stretch. So that's what I think the Warriors deserve credit for. Without Draymond Green in game one, that's a game Memphis has got to win, but Golden State executed better down the stretch, certainly in the last two minutes. Game four, executed well down the, last, down the stretch of the last six minutes with Steph Curry going berserk and Draymond shutting it down defensively. So that, that, that John John, is a matter of a young team, a very talented young team, going against a championship team. Like, that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. And John just says the West is definitely in the air. 100%. 100%. I still think it's going to come down to Golden State and Phoenix. I've said that all season long. I said that back in October. I thought they were going to be the last two teams standing. And uh, I'm going to stand by that today. But let's, let me shift to the Memphis Grizzlies now. Because we got to give them their flowers too. Again, 39-point win. A 55-point lead at one point in the third quarter. And again, absolutely across the board. Again, they hit 18 threes as a team. Uh, you know, you just look at the box score here. Jaron Jackson Jr. gave you 21 and 6 of 10 shooting. Tyus Jones gave you 21. Desmond Bain finally woke up in the series. He's been dealing with some back problems. He gave you 21. Uh, you had three dudes off the bench scoring in double figures, and you had Conchar giving you nine. So when you get all that contribution, but again, but again, role players are always better at home. Look at the Miami Heat in South Beach. Look at them in the city of brotherly love. Don't even look like the same team in terms of the role players. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo stepped up. But Tyler Hero, Struess, other guys in that roster, they're much better at home than on the road. That's, that's, just, that's how it's always worked in the playoffs. And so with the Grizzlies, we know the role players are not going to be as good as in game six. Golden State's role players are. Now, the Warriors are going to be missing, possibly be missing Otto Porter Jr., which is a big loss um, that you know they're going to have to overcome. But for the Memphis Grizzlies, a well-coached team by Taylor Jenkins, a crazy deep roster. Like, they, they legit go 10 deep. And Steven Adams is making a big contribution to the series as well. Shout out Steven Adams. But I'm starting to wonder about something. I want you all to hear me out on this. Nobody is questioning whether or not John Moran is a great player. I've said on this show, he is absolutely a top 10 player in the NBA. He's To me, he's right at number 10, but he's a top 10 player. I put him over Devin Booker, over Donovan Mitchell, over my man, Trey Young. But at the end of the day, is he Kyrie Irving? No, he's not the enlightened one. He's not a self-proclaimed martyr. He, he, John Morant's a good dude who loves the game of basketball and has a fun time playing it. But is he Kyrie Irving in the sense of, A, he has injury issues. Now, they obviously, he and Kyrie play very different, but Kyrie's had injury problems. John Morant's already had, especially this year, had knee problems. Where Memphis is 20-5 and five without him in the regular season. I dismiss that as Memphis just cares more about the regular season than other teams. Not knocking them for that. But we're seeing in the second round, that 25 actually meant something. Because one thing the Memphis Grizzlies are absolutely better at when Jaw's off the court, and I'm not saying they're a better team without Jaw, of course. 
But what they're absolutely better at without Jaw is defensively. Because John Morant's a defensive liability. Golden State goes after John Morant, putting him in pick and rolls and ball screens all but all, all game long. And so when you can't do that, when a, t- a guy like Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks are much better in the defensive end than John Morant, then you deal with a few extra issue, extra issues in terms of, of swinging the basketball, getting certain guys in the action. When you have guys like Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., again, Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, who are really good in the defensive end of the floor, and Ja isn't. And something else. Is Ja Morant another example of a supremely talented player? I want to make that as clear as day. The guy was averaging basically 40 in this series until he got hurt. He's a great player. He's a, he is a superstar. But is he Kyrie Irving in the sense that he's not a guy that can carry a team where a team can function okay. They can be fine. Matter of fact, they've been more than fine thus far without Ja in the regular season, in the postseason. Does Ja make other guys better? That's a big question mark right now. Embiid does. Giannis does. Steph does. LeBron does. Jimmy Butler does. This has kind of always been my knock on Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's a great player. I'm not sure he makes other guys better. Kawhi's come into some great cultures in San Antonio and in Toronto and been able to flourish. Even the Clippers, today, we we think about the Clippers historically as a joke of a franchise, but since Steve Ballmer took over as the owner, they're a pretty darn well-run franchise. They got a good culture over there. They got Jerry West over there. Kawhi isn't a guy who makes guys better. I'm starting to think that's Ja Morant. I'm starting to have my doubts as to whether he, <laughs> excuse me, not whether he could be the best player in a championship team. That's not what I'm saying. If he's a dude that can make guys better. Because Memphis is functioning fine without him. Because you're getting more bald movement. Your other guys are getting more involved in the offensive side of the basketball. You're better defensively where Golden State doesn't have one guy that they are constantly going after. They're well coached. So I'm just saying, do I think Memphis is going to win the series? No, of course not. I think this baby's over tomorrow night. Golden State comes out pissed off. And we know something too, as much as he struggled in the series. I got three words for y'all, Memphis. Game six, Clay. We know about game six, Clay. Y'all should know about game six, Clay. 2016 against Oklahoma City. 2018 against Houston, 2019 against Houston, 2019, the game where he tore his ACL against Toronto. Clay Thompson, don't know what it is. That man loves game six. Barry Grant Jr. is in the comments. I'll come back after this Warriors segment, he says. All right, fine. All right. You you, you take your time because we're about to move on. But I will say this, though, one last thing about John Morant because, again, I'm not sure if he is a guy who, as great as he is, is a guy who can make guys around him better. This is why I've always had a soft spot for Chris Paul. Every place that Chris Paul goes, 
they instantly get better. Every franchise that Chris Paul has been a part of, think about this. They've broken the record for most wins in a season. Just think about that. Except for OKC, I think. Everywhere else. New Orleans. Clippers. Rockets. Suns. Chris Paul makes other guys around him better. They didn't play well this, uh, you know, these last few games. We're, we're going to have to see more from him. But when we look at this play, by the way, I want to talk about the John Moran injury real quick. They say it's a bone bruise. This goes to show you, folks, Jordan Poole did not injure John Morant, at least on the knee grab. You don't get a bone bruise with a guy grabbing you. You get a bone bruise by banging into something, whether it's the floor, whether it's another guy's knee, which he did bang knees with Jordan Poole here. He banged knees with Klay Thompson earlier in the game. So let's stop Memphis' false narrative that Jordan Poole went out here and hurt John Morant. Please. Come on. Yeah, I got to miss me with this foolishness. Um, we got a, break, a little bit of breaking news here from Adam Schefter. And it looks like the tweet was deleted. Oh, man. Well, I guess it's gone now. Okay, never mind. False alarm. I thought that um, Adam Schefter had tweeted the week one schedule for the NFL, which, by the way, comes out in a an hour and a half. I'm, I tell you, folks, the NFL schedule release is like Christmas Day for me. It it, it is it it's like opening presents, like that that you know it, it's it's the um the great Christmas movie, Chris, uh, Christmas Vacation, uh, where 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 cousin as Eddie tells uh, Clark Griswold, it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's essentially what the NFL schedule release is because we open our gifts and we know what we're going to get you know, later in the year, this fall, and of course in the winter. Um, Russell Wilson reportedly is coming back to Seattle in week flipping one <laughs> on Monday night football primetime. I mean, the emotions that's going to be in that building are, is going to be unbelievable. Um, I'm going to see if I can't find, before I get to my, um, my 76ers segment, I'm going to see if I can't find the week one schedule because I thought Adam Schefter had uh had posted this it looks like our okay here we go what an opening night game we have folks the opening night game of the 2022 NFL season the defending Super Bowl champion LA Rams they're playing that's not a surprise to anybody most of the time the defending champs play on opening night the Rams will be playing the Buffalo Bills. That is a great opening night game. I was worried they put the Cowboys on for the second straight year just for ratings purposes. But, man, you got two contenders. This very well could be a Super Bowl preview. Very well could be a Super Bowl preview. So, love this by the NFL. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, yes. Look at this. Sunday night game opener. The Dallas Cowboys will be hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on opening Sunday night at Jerry World. So there you go. Okay, so the other games um, in week one. Saints take on the Falcons at Atlanta. The Browns visit Carolina. The Niners visit Chicago to take on the Bears. The Pittsburgh Steelers go to Cincinnati to take on Burrow and the Bengals. The Eagles go to Detroit to take on the Lions. The Colts play at the Texans. 
The Patriots play at the Dolphins. The Baltimore Ravens play at uh, John John and Alfred's New York Jets. The Jacksonville Jaguars play the first game ever against the Washington Commanders. Let's go, Jags. The Chiefs play at the Cardinals. That's a fun one. Uh, in Arizona, the Raiders go to the Chargers. Man, this schedule's crazy. Uh, in L.A., the Packers go to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. The Giants go to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Again, I mentioned Tampa plays Dallas at Jerry World. And on Monday Night Football, the Denver Broncos go to Seattle. Russell Wilson makes his return to the Seahawks, uh, or at least to the, to, to Seattle, his, his, his old stomping grounds for the last decade on Monday Night Football. So, Great opening night, uh, opening week schedule of the NFL. And again, the whole schedule comes out in an hour and a half. I, I, I had to get that through because I saw Schefter had tweeted it and not 100% sure why, why he deleted it. But um, let's move back to the NBA. I'll tell you, I love the NFL. I, I love the NFL. Let's, <laughs> let's move back to the NBA for a second. We got another big television event in sports tonight. Big one. The Philadelphia 76ers face elimination in basically 30 minutes. The game tips off in 30 minutes against the Miami Heat. They're at home. They are down three games to two. The Heat are looking to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in the previous three seasons. The 76ers are looking to do it for the first time. Unbelievably, can't believe it's been this long since Allen Iverson did it. I think in I think that was the 2001 run where the Sixers lost to the Lakers in the finals. Um Here's what tonight comes down to. I'll, I'll speak briefly in the Heat because I want to make a bigger point with, with James Harden. For the Heat, it's about do the role players step up because they didn't in games three and four, and that's what cost them. Jimmy Butler was phenomenal. Average over 30 in those two games. Bam Adebayo showed up on both ends of the floor, did a decent job against Joel Embiid, was good offensively. Tyler Hero gave you nothing. Duncan Robinson, for whatever reason, didn't play, and... I know a lot of people say, well, Duncan Robinson is a defensive liability. Well, they couldn't get stops when he wasn't on the floor. So if he can't get stops, you know, regardless if he's on the floor or not, you might as well have a shot maker on the court. Guys like uh, Struess didn't show up. So, you know, this is that that's going to be the key for the Miami Heat tonight. But for the Philadelphia 76ers, here's what we know. Joel Embiid is, I'm not, no excuses for superstars, but Joel Embiid is falling apart physically. He's falling apart physically. I've heard a lot of the narrative of, well, he didn't play well in Game 5 because he was mad about Jokic winning MVP. Do I think he's mad about Jokic winning MVP? Of course. If I was mad, I know Joel Embiid was that on, you know, on steroids. Because I didn't lose to Jokic and Embiid did, right? But Embiid knew this a while ago. Embiid knew this a while ago that he lost to Jokic for MVP. And so that I don't think that affected. I think the fact that He's got a torn up wrist. That he's got an orbital issue that got reaggravated. He got hit by the basketball in the face in game five, which reaggravated it. Reportedly, he's still still. I'm not sure how he's playing with this. Reportedly, he's still dealing with the after effects of the concussion from the first round against the Toronto Raptors. So Embiid's falling apart physically. If he gives you twenty five and thirteen tonight. I think you'll take that if you're the 76ers, given the injuries. Tonight, folks, is about James Harden. Plain and simple. 
James Harden is a guy who hasn't really taken great care of his body. He's only 32. You'd think he's 36, 37. He's barely, he's closer to 30 than 40, folks. And he looks like he is falling off, you know, the member of the Max Kellerman, Tom Brady cliff theory. James Harden's falling off the cliff right now in terms of his production. And this is what I warned folks about after his great performance in game four. He dropped 31. I said, be careful to buy into this. What did he do? He scored 14 points in game five and gave you nothing. I think he had like five assists. So James Harden didn't give you anything in game five. So tonight, what has been the, what has been the issue for James Harden? Game six is game sevens, particularly home game sixes and game sevens. 2017, back when he was with the Houston Rockets, the year that I think he should have won MVP over Russell Westbrook. At home against the San Antonio Spurs. They're down three games to two. Houston has to win this game to keep their season alive. The Spurs are without Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard. James Harden in that game. 10 points. 10 points off of two for 11 for the field, two for nine from three-point range. And the Rockets lost by 39. The following year, he wins MVP. I thought LeBron should have won it that year. But the voters said, that's the most valuable player in the NBA this season. All right. No Chris Paul, but you're the best player. You're the MVP, right? A home game seven against the Golden State Warriors. You have a 15-point lead. You have a double-digit lead at halftime. And you lead a team that misses 27 consecutive threes. You were a part of that, James Harden. And that lead shifts from a 15-point lead to a 9-point loss. Because James Harden did not show up. He scored 34 points, I believe, in that game. But it took him over 30 shots to get there. It was an inefficient game. It was an ineffective game. The following season, the injury gods give Houston the break and kick Golden State in the behind because Kevin Durant goes down. Chris Paul's healthy for the Rockets. The Rockets are down three games to two at home in a must-win game six. In that game, I believe Vegas had them favored by like eight and a half points or something. Like They were big home favorites. Steph Curry does not score a point in the first half. Chris Paul in that game, you can look at the numbers, played his best game of the series. The Rockets lose. James Harden commits a big turnover down the stretch, misses some big shots, and the Rockets wound up losing by five points. Two years later, he's now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. And I hear, well, he's injured. A lot of injured players have made a big impact. I mean, just look at, heck, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was probably at a, 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 a 
partially torn Achilles, which turned into an Achilles rupture, of course, when he injured it. Kevin Durant made a massive impact for the Warriors in that game five against the Raptors before he went down with the Achilles. So when it comes to injury, I'm not giving you an excuse because you don't show up even when you're healthy. Game seven against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Brooklyn Nets are at home. No Kyrie Irving, but Kevin Durant's on the floor. He had a 49-point triple-double the last home game in game five. In game seven, Kevin Durant scored 48 points, gave you nine rebounds, and dished out six assists. Want to know what James Harden gave you? 22 points, but on five for 17 shooting and two for 12 from three. So, tonight, his third team in the last two seasons, this is what he was brought to Philadelphia for. Philadelphia knew. Daryl Morey knew. Joel Embiid, great as he is, best player on the team. Some argue MVP. I still, I still hold that it was Giannis. I think I'm being validated by that now. But people say it's Embiid. But the one thing even the biggest Embiid fans know, this guy gets gets hurt at the worst times you know, possible. This is why he brought James Harden in. This is what Ben Simmons couldn't do. This is what you brought Jimmy Butler there to do, but he was only there for a year. It's what you brought James Harden here to do. He wanted to come to Philly to reunite with Daryl Morey, to play for a contender, even though when he was with Brooklyn, they were a pretty good basketball team, even with the Kyrie Irving drama. You got to win this game tonight. Even if you lose in game seven, depending on how you play, I think we'll all have the reaction, Miami's a better basketball team. We're seeing my, and look, man, listen, they had injury, just like the Warriors, they were injuries galore. Had the best record in the Eastern Conference, the conference that I believe was tougher. I think the East was better than the West this year. I think they had more championship level teams. James Harden's got to show up tonight. He's got to give you 30. Well, I'm not sure if he can do it anymore. Did it in game four. Did it earlier this week. He's got a few days rest in between. James Harden's going to need to give you one of those vintage performances, a 30-point game with eight, nine assists. And they got to matter. Because the one thing I commended James Harden for in that game four was we've seen in these playoff losses him score 30. But if you actually watch the game of basketball, you know what an impactful 30 points is. This is why I have a huge problem with Jokic winning MVP. Hardly any of his stats were meaningful. We saw that in the postseason. That's another conversation for another day. The buckets James Harden got in that fourth quarter were meaningful. Scored 18 in the fourth quarter. That meant something. We need to see that tonight. Because you're going to be a dogfight with the Miami team that does not want to see a game seven. They want to get this series over with, get a little bit extra rest, and get ready for a dogfight with either Milwaukee or Boston. Sixers have to win this game tonight. Doc Rivers, by the way, he's not off the hook either. We know of Doc Rivers' struggles in the postseason. So, in terms of pressure scale, I'd go Harden 1, Doc 2, and B3. The only reason I have him B3 is because he has the injuries. And Embiid has shown us when he's healthy, he's really good in the postseason. Unlike Harden. That's why I don't give Harden the injury excuse for last year. 
because he's bad when he's even healthy. This is this is this is one of those games that we always talk about with James Harden. He never he never shows up in these big games. But the beauty of the NBA and the beauty what I love about sports, you write your script. You can flip the narrative like that. James Harden can flip the narrative tonight. Plenty of players have done it. The greatest basketball player that ever lived, Michael Jordan. People don't realize this. But Michael Jordan, his first, whatever it was, seven, eight years in the league, did not win a championship, and he was all, he was he was winning MVPs. He was even at that time before his first championship in 1991, known as like, oh, that dude is something. Larry Bird once called him God in sneakers. God disguised as Michael Jordan. People knew he's the best player, but he was always known as, man, he's a great one-on-one player, but can he be the best player on a championship team? There were doubts about Michael Jeffrey Jordan. He rewrote the script. James Harden can rewrite the script because the greatest players in NBA history have all done it. What you gonna do? LeBron had the same narrative. Didn't win a championship his first eight years in the league. Finally broke through in year nine against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And as he said after that series, it's about time. So, I'm going to see something from James Harden tonight. That's all. I, I, I'm going to see something from him tonight. You can rewrite the script. You want to really go the extra mile, win game seven, and play well. This is exactly the game that Philadelphia brought him there for. What you going to do? We'll see in about 10, 15 minutes. It's going to be fun. Moving on now to, to the Mavericks and the Suns who uh, play their game six tonight in Dallas. Phoenix has a 3-2 lead. Uh, I commend the Phoenix Suns for winning game five because I said on Monday's show, excuse me, after they lost in game four to the Mavericks in a 2-2 series, I said, okay, there's pressure on Phoenix. I said the Suns have to win game five or they're not winning the series. Because what the narrative would be is you were up two games to none last year on the box and you lost four straight. And if they lost game five, it would have been like, uh-oh, they're going to do it again. To their credit, even though Chris Paul did not play particularly well, um, Devin Booker was phenomenal. His shot was working all night long. The role players were great, especially the bigs. Um, but tonight in Dallas, I think this is... I'm not going to go so far as to say a legacy game for Luka Doncic because he is only in year, what is this, year four for him. He was, yeah, drafted in 2018. But for Luka, it's, I think it's James Harden, but to a lesser degree, because to Luka's credit, he's been great in the postseason. But I think what tonight is about, what we expect from our superstars in the NBA when you're down in a series, you got a home game, a winner-go-home type game to keep the series going. We expect our superstars, and Luka Doncic is that. I think he's the sixth best player in the world. We expect them to lead your team, their teams to victory and win these basketball games. And now what I think, too, even though Luka is better than the player I'm about to mention, 
another another narrative, and you, you know me, I don't like false narratives. That's the, that's my biggest pet peeve on carving it up. I hate false narratives. I don't do that. But this isn't necessarily a false narrative. What it is is why haven't you done blank yet? And what blank is get to a conference finals. Trey Young did. Your contemporary, the guy who was drafted number one in your draft, DeAndre Ayton. He did. So for Luka Doncic, it's, could you, you're in year four now, LeBron James, now we're talking about the second greatest player ever here, but LeBron James got to the NBA Finals with what was not a very good Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team. It it wasn't as bad as the 2018 team because that Cavs team was at least good on the defensive end of the floor. But that was one of the worst NBA Finals teams of all time. And LeBron got them to the Finals, beat what was a great Detroit Pistons team in which he had that massive, I think it was like game five, game six of that series when he scored like 29 of the Cavs' last 30 points. One of the great playoff performances of all time. But when LeBron got that team to the Finals, The guy that a lot of folks compare Luka Doncic to, Larry Bird. Larry Bird had a title by year four. So this is a sort of, I think, legacy game for Luka as well. In a lesser degree than James Harden. But it's going to be four years in, we see the talent. We know that this guy is a transcendent player. He's one of the great all-around players in the league. He, y'all love your triple dub. I mean, not, not y'all, the listeners. Y- y- y'all, y'all, y'all know what you're talking about. But the, I'm talking about the NBA media. NBA media, y'all, y'all love your triple doubles. You know, with, with Russell Westbrook back in 2017. Luka almost averaged a triple double this season. We know what he gives you. But if in four years it's one series win. Last year they had a three games to two lead over the Clippers. A game six at home. Got outplayed by Kawhi. Now that's not like exactly a a bad thing to get outplayed by Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. But what are you going to do tonight? You are a superstar. I'm not expecting the Mavericks to win this series because I think Phoenix is a better team. I think we'd all agree on that. But I did have this going seven. And that aside, if you are a superstar, you got to get to a game seven. Because we've seen Chris Paul struggled in Dallas. Now, game four, we, you know, you don't blame him considering the, the stuff his family had to deal with. But Chris Paul has been in a slump lately. Devin Booker's found his rhythm. But what about the, the others? Again, going back to, to what Shaq says, what about the others? Because the others for the Phoenix Suns haven't really played particularly well in Dallas. DeAndre Ayton hasn't played well. JaVale McGee, Bismack Biombo, Cameron Payne, Cam Johnson. Devin Booker's really been the only guy that showed up to this point on the road in Dallas. And so, what does Luka give you? It can't just be stats. Because we know the two wins the Mavericks have, Luka didn't play great. Kind of inefficient. To the Mavericks' credit, the other guys stepped up for him. Guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, especially in Game 4, and Brunson, and, and Spencer Dinwiddie giving you double figures off the bench. Uh, uh, Kleba. You know, those, those guys stepping up when, when they absolutely had to. 
he's going to get that tonight. But can he step up in the fourth quarter? Because I have, I have a feeling this can be a tight basketball game against a hungry Phoenix Suns team, a team that wants to avenge its loss in the finals last year. That's that they they made no secret about it. That's their mission. We'll see. Got a few comments from my man Grady Edwards. He says, if Middleton comes back, are the Bucs the favorites to win the title? I operate from the standpoint that if the Bucs play, they win. But if the Warriors get back, then they're taking uh, they're taking out Milwaukee uh, to remind the league they're still there uh, if the Bucs play uh, the Suns. Um, I think it's absolutely fair to say if Middleton comes back, the Bucs uh, are the favorites. I, I don't have an issue uh, with anybody you know, saying that or believing that, uh, considering what they've done without Chris Middleton. Uh, considering what Giannis has done, what Drew Holiday has done, what guys like Connaughton and and Bobby Portis uh, have have been able to do as well off the bench, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you know Wesley Matthews as well. I, I think for the Milwaukee Bucks, it's about how do you adjust once Middleton comes back into the lineup, because you know it is it is an adjustment when a guy has missed a s- substantial amount of time once he comes back, and not what does he give you. Maybe there's a, le- a level of rust there for Middleton, but he's he's a scorer. He's a shooter. He once shot 50, 40, 90 a couple of years ago. He'll get back into rhythm, I think, pretty quickly. But do the Bucks adjust to him uh, quick enough? Which, considering they play together for a while, my guess is they probably do. So uh, if I had to say yes or no as to whether they're championship favorites, because we know they're obviously contenders, even without Middleton, are they the favorites, though, with him? Yeah, I'd agree. I- I'd say they are. Uh, Grady says Luca needs a legit second banana. I've never heard it phrased that way, Grady, but I appreciate that. He doesn't have one. He will never win the chip as presently constructed in Dallas. This team, he has an operate like Harden, uh, operates like the way Harden's Rockets did until they got CP3, uh, as a quote, puncher's chance. Uh, if you have Luca Kyrie, that change that changes everything. Watch out for a team like that if Kyrie opts out. They will most certainly take a chance on Kyrie Irving. Talking about the Mavs, well. I would not take a chance on Kyrie Irving for the simple A word, availability. You're not sure when Kyrie's going to be there. And if you want to get Luka second star, because I I think I would agree Luka can be the best player on a championship team. I think absolutely. I think he's different from Ja Morant in that, because I question this about Ja. Is Luka a guy that makes other dudes around him better? I think he does. I think he does. Maybe not to the level that the other guys do, but I think he does. So you don't necessarily need a guy as skilled as Kyrie Irving because Lord knows skills is off the charts with Kyrie. It's availability. It's distraction. You know, Kyrie, I I compare it. This is why I said Ja is like Kyrie, uh, not in personality at all, but in terms of what is a team like without you? Cleveland's fine now without Kyrie. Boston's more than fine. They got better when Kyrie left. The Nets have been, you look at the numbers, you look at even wins. If numbers translate to wins, those are meaningful numbers. We're seeing that with the, right now with the Grizzlies. The Nets are better without Kyrie Irving. We've seen that for the three years he's been there. So I, I don't think Kyrie would necessarily be the guy that I'd go after. I would go after a guy like Zach Levine. i go after a guy like Zach Levine if I'm, if, if I'm the, um, you know, the Dallas Mavericks. See how that would work. But it would be interesting. All right, Philly and uh, Miami tips off in minutes, so I'll go and get out of here with an NFL topic because, again, the NFL schedule, folks, comes out in an hour. 
We already got the week one schedule. We already got the week one schedule out. Discussed that uh, about 30 minutes ago. But got to talk about a team that has a lot of intrigue surrounding them right now. That would be the Miami Dolphins. A team that has not made the playoffs since the 2016 season. A team that has not found their franchise quarterback since the retirement of Dan Marino around the turn of the 21st century. And Tua was a guy, Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama, was a guy that I thought would be the answer. I thought accuracy, movement in the pocket was solid in college. I thought he brought intangibles to the table that I liked. But the issue with Tua, the thing I fear the most was injuries. He's had those. But also... We know you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to have a rocket arm. You don't have to be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers to be successful as a quarterback in this league. But are you efficient? And can you make those tight window key throws? People compare him to Drew Brees. Drew Brees could, could put a little muster on the football. And he was so precise. Might have been the most accurate quarterback ever was so precise with the football. People talk about Tom Brady. Tom's got an arm now. It's it's not special like the guys I mentioned, Rodgers, Allen, Mahomes. Tom, even to this day, can still fling it. Just, I mean, heck, just if, if you even question Tom's arm strength in New England, go back to the days of Randy Moss and tell me Tom Brady doesn't have an arm. So it's about being precise. There was a video I'm sure you guys have seen, and a lot of you guys have seen it, and if you have not, we'll play it on the show. Sorry for the podcast audience. I'll, I'll see if I can narrate it for you. But the Miami Dolphins posted a video on their social media accounts of Tua. They're, they're going through, uh, you know, I guess, summer workouts and stuff. And a video of Tua throwing a deep ball to their new acquisition, the man that they gave the bag to, Tyree Kill, one of the best receivers in the NFL. And here's the video right now. Tua drops back. It's in slow motion. Flings it deep down the field for Tyreek Hill. It's in the air. Tyreek catches it. We're going to play this one more time. Tyreek celebrates there. We're going to play this one more time. I want you all to watch this. How Tyreek has to come back for the football. See how he doesn't, doesn't catch us in stride. Watch. If you freeze that, and a couple of people have frozen that, it looks like Tyreek is, 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 is hauling in a fair catch. Like he's receiving punts, like when he did when he first came into the league with Kansas City. I think the Dolphins and Philadelphia, I think, is in a similar predicament. This is do or die for Tua because I've I for one have always been of the I've always believed in the Bill Parcells um way of evaluating quarterbacks. And Bill Parcells, I think, might have gotten this from the great Tom Landry. But Bill Parcells, the most recent guy to say it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Bill Parcells, great NFL coach. He always said, I give quarterbacks three years. Year one is a developmental year. You're transitioning from college to the NFL, which today, in today's NFL, folks, is not as difficult as it used to be because the rule changes because of the offensive schemes these days. They look more like college schemes so that they can be able to transition quarterbacks that much quicker. But year one, developmental year, as, as Coach Parcells has said. Year two, you need to see not improvement. You need to see, in order to know if you're a franchise quarterback or not, you need to see, okay, there is a clear improvement from year one to year two. You can see it. 
in how the quarterback sees the game and obviously in his uh, in his adjustments to the NFL level. By year three, if you still have questions, he's not the guy. The Dolphins are going to have to come to that realization this year. I don't think they could set two up any better than they have this season. The defense, while I don't think it'll be as good as it was last year because Brian Flores is gone, the defense has still got some playmakers. They've got Xavier Howard. they got some dudes. Uh, Byron Jones, offensively, they upgraded the offensive line, which two of defenders who were all over me at the end of last season, all the two of defenders said, well, he doesn't have an offensive line. To which I responded, well, Joe Burrow didn't either, and he got the Bengals to the Super Bowl. Nevertheless, Dolphins have upgraded their offensive line. And <laughs> you already had Jalen Waddell, who seems to have a good connection with Tua considering they played at Alabama together. You got Jalen Waddell, who we know can play in this league. You bring back Mike Gusecki, who's a very good pass-catching tight end. Pretty is a good deep threat for a tight end as well. You bring in Cedric Wilson from the Dallas Cowboys. Cedric Wilson is a very good wide receiver. He was, for a time, the number four receiver on the Cowboys behind Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. And I, I, how many times, folks, did I say on the show last season, uh, uh, Amari Cooper, uh, Cedric Wilson is the best number four receiver in the National Football League. He could be a two some places. Gets open well, good hands, solid deep threat. Isn't a burner, but gets open as well as anybody at his position. They brought Cedric Wilson to the building. And finally, they brought the cheetah himself, Tyreek Hill. The best deep threat in the National Football League. This generation's Deshaun Jackson. And folks, I think he's better than Deshaun, as great as Deshaun Jackson was. No excuses now. You got one team in the division that is clearly better than you, and that is the Buffalo Bills. Nobody's going to criticize Miami if they don't win the division. Frankly, we would be I think we'd all be pretty stunned if Buffalo doesn't win the AFC East. We would. The Jets, while they had a great draft, Miami's got a better roster than the Jets today. And the Patriots absolutely got worse in the offseason, lost guys like JC Jackson, and once again, shocker shocker, Bill Belichick had a horrendous draft. Terrible. So bad the Rams were laughing at them. Sean McVay, Les Snead were laughing at the Patriots at how bad the draft was. Miami, particularly Tua, you got to make the playoffs now because you had your problems with Brian Flores. Well, Brian Flores is gone now. You got Tyree Kill and Cedric Wilson in the building and you upgraded the offensive line. The division is not crazy. Yeah, Buffalo, outside of that, you should beat New England. You should beat the Jets. You've got a third-place schedule. What you going to do about it? I do not, I've said since the beginning, or about mid-part of last season, I do not believe Tua is that guy. I don't. I think when you look at his development compared to Joe Burrow's development, we're talking about the guys from the 2020 draft, Joe Burrow's development and Justin Herbert's development, it ain't even close. Joe Burrow's been to a freaking Super Bowl with what was not a great roster. And Justin Herbert, though he hasn't been to the playoffs yet, I blame that more on his coach than I do him. 
is breaking record after year one and year two record in this league. And we know the talent he has. Arm, mobility, accuracy, strength. He's got it all. Tua, we're not so sure. There's even been rumors about the Dolphins possibly midseason, if he's still available, bringing Baker Mayfield into the building. I, for one, you know I have my issues with Baker. I'd take him over Tua any day of the week. Any day of the week. Give Baker the running game. He's a good quarterback. Not a franchise quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. I've made that very clear. But he's a productive starting quarterback in this league. I'm not sure Tua is. We saw that with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in and playing well in 2020. And Jacoby Brissett, though he had limited snaps in 2021, played well. There wasn't a really much of a drop-off. In fact, at times, you could argue Tua's backup was better than Tua. That can't happen. So I, I, I am highly skeptical about Tua uh, this season with Miami Dolphins. And frankly, I think it's going to be his last with Miami Dolphins. I love Tua as a kid. Uh, he, is, he is as good as a, of a dude as there is in this league. He's just not the answer for the Dolphins. And sorry, Dolphins fans. It's a great fan base. Um, you're going to have to keep looking. <laughs> Dan Marino's not walking that building anytime soon. You're going to have to keep looking because you have not found your franchise quarterback yet. I hate to tell y'all. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live tomorrow. It will not be a live show. I'm going to pre-record it because uh, I have some other engagements. Um, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Uh, be sure to catch Carving Up also on uh, all on your podcasting networks on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Anchor, as well as wherever you listen to your podcasts. And on those podcasting platforms, be sure on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. or I'm sorry, 4 a.m. Pacific time. Be sure to catch episode five. Can't believe we moved this far, folks. Episode five of the Carving It Up U.S. Presence Edition. Myself, along with my great co-host Isaac Lawson, we just recorded episode eight today. And uh, be sure to catch this series uh, every Saturday morning. We cover all 45 men who have led uh, the United States of America. Uh, in the executive branch in the Oval Office. And uh, at the in episode 10, at the end of the series, we rank them all. We give our personal lists, and it's been a great series. I've had a blast with, with, with Isaac doing this, and um, we've got some very, very positive feedback uh, thus far. So there you go. Episode 5 will be available on Saturday morning. Be sure to go check it out. And uh, it's, it's going to be it's, it's gonna be an interesting episode. We, we talk about one of my all-time favorite presidents, Teddy Roosevelt. So um, be sure to check that one out. So. Have a great evening, everybody. See y'all tomorrow. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Better show up, James Harden. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.